You're listening to The Lightwalker's Path with Serena Myers, the podcast that sparks real, raw, honest conversations about what it actually means to live a spiritual life. Serena is a sacred soul mentor who guides people to tap into their heart's truth so they can live their lives with purpose on purpose. Welcome to episode 47 of The Lightwalker's Path. I'm your host, Serena Myers, and this week, We are going to be digging into this concept of the echo chamber, and in particular, the damage that we can experience as lightworkers when we are living within an echo chamber. So let's start off with talking about what that even means, because I know it's a term that not everybody knows about. An echo chamber is when we are living a life where we are surrounded with people who are exactly like us. They think like us, they vote like us, they look like us a lot of the time. And so it really gives us a very limited world view to work from. So if you think about any kind of pop culture, TV show or movie where someone has left their small town to go work in the big city and then they come back and everybody is still kind of the same as they were in high school, that's because they've been existing within an echo chamber. So when we do things like travel, when we do things like even follow people who are very different from us on social media, when we meet people from, you know, anywhere and everywhere, we slowly start to expand our worldview. And it has a really big impact on how we show up in the world. So let's just talk about this for a moment now as humans, as opposed to humans doing light work. So when we have exposure to experiences that are very different than what our normal lived experience is, it gives us a deeper sense of empathy that we wouldn't have otherwise. So I'll give you an example. I was raised Catholic. I went to Catholic school. We weren't really big churchgoers, but I was really indoctrinated in in, in just that way of living. I didn't understand the idea of saying happy holidays. I'd never met someone who wasn't Catholic before. And I honestly, I was 14 years old the first time I met someone who was Jewish. And I was so excited. And I was like, you're Jewish? I'm Catholic. That's so cool. And to her, she was kind of like, okay, it's really random that you're excited about that. But for me, it was novel and it was exciting because someone in the world was having these different traditions that I'd heard about, but I'd never actually experienced firsthand. Um, A lot of that wasn't even happening in media at that time. So it was was nice to just kind of have that expanding of my worldview. And the whole reason that even happened is because I didn't carry on and go to Catholic school for high school. I actually did a huge pivot and ended up in art school. So instead of being in this very regimented, very shame-based, very Ooh, heavy um, education system that was so based on religion, I suddenly had not just exposure um, to other people, but also just like different philosophies, different walks of life and in a new neighborhood even. So it wasn't the people that had grown up with. It was um, all these different ways of just carrying yourself in the world. And because they were artistic, it really, really broadened my worldview fast in ways I didn't even know that I needed, to be honest. We start to see this a lot um, in our politics. So when we had our last major election, I actually scoured my my Facebook feed to find somebody who um, was more conservative, but who could actually put together like what I considered in my judgmental way, what I considered to be a coherent argument for the conservatives. It wasn't so much that I wanted someone to convince me to vote differently, but 
I was feeling so far removed from the from the conservative platform that I couldn't wrap my head around why anyone who wasn't really, really wealthy uh, would ever vote conservative. Like it just didn't occur to me. And I did have people who uh, were on my friends list who tended to lean that way. But a lot of them had really kind of disjointed ideas about why they voted for the party. It was actually a little bit weird and a bit frustrating and resulted in a lot of unfriending and unfollowing, if I'm totally honest. Where What I wanted to have was not so much a debate, but I wanted to understand. So I'm somebody who, even if I disagree with someone, if I can see where they're coming from, I can process things a lot easier. And I couldn't understand why anybody would vote conservative, at least not anybody that I knew. And we also see this particularly right now in conversations about race. It is really easy to write a meme that I've been seeing going around that says, if you don't want to get in trouble with the police, then don't do anything wrong. That is such a privileged position because it's really based, again, from not just their own worldview, but from the worldview of the people who they know and are likely also white and not having trouble with the police. What we are witnessing in these uh, in the events that have transpired that have been re- really, really forcing this revolution to happen right now is that not only were people being discriminated a bit against about what they by what they looked like, but also the reaction and the response was completely disproportionate to the events that took place. So even if someone was doing something, let's say wrong, and I'm going to use air quotes here, it shouldn't cost them their life. We still have due process. That's the whole point. Even states that have the um, the death penalty, you still have to go through the whole judicial system. You don't get to have the cop decide that on the street. So it's really easy to make these assumptions. And we do that for a few different reasons. One is that we've never experienced it ourselves. We don't know anyone who's experienced it. And it seems like the most logical thing. Like, well, obviously, the only way to get in trouble with the police is to do something bad. But in reality, um, that's just not the way it is. That's not what's playing out for people of color right now, today. This is not stuff that's happening like in the 60s during the civil rights movement. We're talking about the things that are happening right now. The other thing is that if you have a really, um, even your social feed, if the people that you follow are also leaning the same direction you are in terms of your faith, your beliefs, your politics, and even your skin color, you're not going to see people that you per- like personally know who are affected by these things. And so it's going to seem like something that is otherworldly. And there is this really big detachment that happens. And some of it is self-preservation because we want to believe that bad things would never happen to us. So if we just stay good, then that should be fine. But then that fear is also then reinforced by our lived experience. And if we're not having connections of people who are having run-ins with police who are who or who know somebody who that where these horrible things have happened, um, it's really easy to just build that into a belief system. And I think one of the reasons why we as a whole, and I mean the planet as a whole, were so shook up about George Floyd is that we could no longer make that assumption that if, oh, if you're just good, then that's fine. When you actually have events like that that are caught on tape that you can actually sit and watch and see, you have to recognize, oh my God, the way that I believe the world to be is wrong. And it's actually really hard and really confronting to even look at that. And this is kind of where light work comes in. 
a lot of people, when they start their spiritual journeys, especially if they come from families that are not really supportive, they start to withdraw and disconnect. Sometimes they will actually end relationships where they start only surrounding themselves with people who are love and lighting away all their problems and there isn't any pushback. And I'm not saying that we should deliberately put ourselves in situations where our faith is challenged and where our practices are called into question. That's really shitty too. But what I'm saying is that if you just end up in this little perfect little bubble and everybody within that bubble is happy all the time, there is a lot that is transpiring that isn't ta- that just isn't tuned into the rest of the world. And if you want to be someone who, you know, just needs to be in that bubble to feel really safe and to carry on, that's really fine. But you can't call yourself a light worker. There is a work element to light work. And in particular, it's shining light into shadows. And if you have cocooned yourself in this little happy bubble where everyone you know is tickety-boo all the time, there isn't really any work taking place. And not only is there not a lot of work taking place, there isn't a lot of growth taking place either. Because yes, while having people call us out is deeply uncomfortable and it's not a lot of fun, it's also where we start to get a little bit clearer on who we are and what we're here to do. So last fall, I went home to visit. Now, tiny little backstory, I moved out when I was 17. And when I moved out, I moved across the country. So I really have had um, quite a separation from my family, even though a lot of them have actually followed me to BC. There's still, um, I'm still actually quite in my own little bubble. And I recognize this particularly when I joined a spiritual group where the majority of the people that I talked to and hung out with, they were all within the same spiritual community. So we were in our own little love bubble where we were doing this work, but we weren't really expanding the work outward. And we certainly weren't sharing it with the world, which is where that light was really most needed. So I have uh, the luxury of being able to say, oh yeah, well, this is what you do to deal with your family. When in reality, when I put it into practice, is I moved away. <laughs> like I just don't have to deal with them in the day-to-day sense that many other people do. So I recognized that my position wasn't coming from the same place as most of the people I knew's lived experiences. Because even if they had some separation, um, they were often in the same towns as their families, they had regular contact with their families. And so they were trying to find this way of being able to balance those two worlds. How do I live my life as this really spiritual person? And how do I still have conversations with my ultra conservative or ultra religious or ultra whatever family members who believe differently than I do. So coming back to this, last fall, I went home for Thanksgiving. It was my first Thanksgiving uh, in 20 years. And I had just left an angel retreat. And so I saw my uncle and he said, hey, this is, and my uncle's an atheist. He's not even ultra religious, uh, but he doesn't believe in anything. And he said, I hear you just came back from a retreat. What was it all about? And I said, oh, it was about angels. I'm studying angels. And he's like, angels, angels, like angels, angels. And I said, yeah. And then he proceeded to crack up laughing right in my face. Now, if this had been in the early part of my journey where I had really surrounded myself only with people who thought and felt and believed what I did, um, it probably would have destroyed me. But in that moment, I was able to just kind of take a pause and be like, yeah, okay, that's, that's a little rude, but it wasn't really ultra triggering. And then he started to apologize. And I said, I said to him, I said, I don't need you to apologize. It's okay because I have enough faith. Like I have enough faith in my faith that I don't need to convince you. I don't need to bring you on board. 
And it didn't fully sit well with him, I don't think. But that was the biggest example for me of, oh, wait, I can actually stand in this place in my truth and the rest of it doesn't matter. And this is the part of the work that is so important. When we show up in our truth, when we shine our light, when we have uncomfortable conversations, when we stand in integrity, the more we do it, the stronger we get, the more natural it becomes. It just becomes part of what we do and who we are. It actually gets a lot easier with practice. But with that comes this beautiful, unshakable sense of self and in what you believe in. And so you don't actually need the echo chamber anymore. When we end up in these spaces where our beliefs are either ridiculed or challenged or pushed back against, we get to have this wonderful opportunity to look within ourselves to say, is there any validity in what this person is saying? Do I need to reconsider my thoughts, my beliefs, my actions? And we actually saw that a lot in conversations around race these days, where we had people who really believed that, you know, all lives matter. They really believed that white supremacy wasn't really a thing. And particularly if they had, if they were white, but they'd had challenging lives, they really just couldn't wrap their head around how their struggle was any different than anybody else's. But because they also had this willingness to listen, where they could hear from other teachers, whether it was from other white people who've done the work and who were sharing, or whether they were hearing it from people of color who they were suddenly just opening themselves up to receiving, they started to be able to say, you know what, actually, I get it now. And I'm, it's okay for me to change my beliefs. Oh, okay, I was wrong. And that is a willingness that a lot of people don't have. We get really like attached to our convictions that it can be really hard to admit that maybe we didn't do it right. And when we live in a society that's so based in shame, it's really hard to admit that we might have gotten it wrong. Particularly when we have put ourselves in these echo chambers where all we hear is not just the same messaging, but also how smart and great and talented we are. It's why you start to see once um, certain leaders get to have a lot more uh, attention or a lot more power or they've just really kind of blown up and grown that's when you start to see these other parts of them come out because now they're no longer just surrounded with people saying oh my god you're the best thing ever now they're starting to be opened up to criticism and critique and they're not used to that so it's really our responsibility in a lot of ways to live a foot in each world where we can maintain our practices as light workers, where we can have those conversations, where we can be the ones bringing the illumination in, whether it's about our politics or conversations around racism or even our spiritual beliefs. It doesn't really matter what the topic is. It's about our own willingness to show up, to be there, to be challenged and to use that as information for ourselves to say, is there something I need to reevaluate or does this just bring more conviction to my beliefs? But that is what light work is. It is being able to stand in the darkness with your own little beam and shining the light so that people can see. And the beautiful thing that happens is it's not just about illuminating the shadows, which is a really, really big part of light work, but it's also so that other people who maybe are unidentified light workers, they, they have it in their hearts, but they haven't really had the courage to be able to really step into it themselves. They can see you shining your light and they can say, hey, wait a minute, I have one of those too. 
And it's not so much that you then are recruiting other light workers to create a new echo chamber, but that you're leading by example of what it looks like to exist in this world and still be bringing the light, still be doing that inner exploration, still be asking those questions. That willingness, that openness, that teachability is so important. It's so important and it is sadly lacking in a lot of our world. So that is my invitation to you this week, my loves, is to be able to ask yourself where you are not feeling super certain and what you need to get there. And that sounds like a weird place to begin, but I feel like if you have a really, really solid foundation, which you get by asking questions and by flexing that muscle of showing up and speaking your truth, if you can understand what you need to feel safe to be fully out there doing this work bravely and courageously, regardless of who is around you and what you're hearing, I think that that is the way to really navigate this in a beautiful and powerful way. And it all begins with your willingness. And if you've taken the time to be with me today, I truly believe that you already have that in your heart. So that is it for this week, my loves. I am sending this to you with big, big sparkly hugs. I hope it finds you well. And of course, if you want to continue this conversation, I would absolutely love it if you join my Facebook community. It has the same name as this podcast, The Lightwalker's Path. And it's a safe space where you can show up in your journey, talk about it exactly as you are, exactly where you are, and be witnessed for the powerful creator that you have come here to be. Shine on, my sweets. We'll see you next week.